This is the Mile High Five podcast with Carl Jensen and Doug Cunnington. We have authentic conversations about the journey to Phi, health, happiness, and some very odd tangents. We interview Phi experts, side hustlers, people on their way to Phi, and those who have reached the other side. Join us every week, and if you want the show notes and links and all that other stuff, head over to milehighfi.com. Let's hear it from our sponsors for today's episode, The Doug Show Podcast. That's my podcast where I talk about affiliate marketing and SEO and some other random topics. Actually, we we did a few episodes on uh, Tiger King, so k- kind of random stuff occasionally, but it's mostly affiliate marketing and SEO. So check that out if you're interested in some of the other stuff that I work on. And then Carl has a blog called 1500days.com and he writes about his journey to financial independence and retiring early and uh, many other things. There's a lot of lifestyle kind of updates and thoughts on there as well. Currently, as you can gather, we don't have any actual paying sponsors other than Carl and I paying to produce the show, but we might, we might in the future, who knows what it might bring. We may do like a donation model or something like that. And we have been playing around with t-shirts. A lot of people have been asking about t-shirts and hoodies and stuff like that. And Carl actually produced our, our t-shirts and I need to circle back with him. I'm not sure, depending on when you listen to this, we may have t-shirts available already. So definitely check it out. We'll put a link in the description and show notes whenever they are available, but be sure you're on the email list, which is the milehighfi.club. There's a link to get to it, but if we have any uh, new offers or t-shirts or any kind of cool things like that, maybe coffee mugs or something, then we'll let you know via the email list. Without further delay, let's go ahead and get to the episode. Hello, world. Welcome to the Mile High Fi Podcast. How are you doing today, Doug? I'm fantastic. It's uh, the day that we're recording. It's St. Patrick's Day, so I am wearing green. Whoa, I f- completely forgot. You did? Oh, man. It's. Are you having corned beef tonight? We are. Yeah, I have it uh, rolling in the crock pot right now. Nice. So, nice. did you guys have... Uh, Corned beef, or do you do that thing? Uh, we did. We had it in our instant pot. Do you do you have an instant pot yet, Doug? Or? No, no. I'm uh, I'm sort of resisting because I hear they're fantastic, but I have a crock pot and a bunch of other things, which I think does the job. But oh. sh- should I be getting one of these things? Oh, Doug, I'm not sure if I can continue on after hearing that. An instant pot. Will change your life. Actually, it's just like a crock pot, only it cooks faster, like a crock pot with pressure cooking capabilities, I think. I don't know if that's what Mindy tells me anyway. I've never, I have used it. They make hard boiled eggs really well too. So I highly recommend it. But when's your birthday, Doug? Maybe I'll. Uh, it is, it's in May. It's in May. Up. Yeah. Oh. All right. Hmm. Yeah. I think uh, I think you're on to something. I, I have heard, that's what I heard, is like a pressure cooker with crock pot capabilities or vice versa, and uh, does the job of many different things, so. Yeah, and this is kind of a good segue into what we're going to talk about today, the misconceptions about fire, and one of them that we were going to talk about is how fire isn't a sacrifice. Even though we're both fired, you can still have an instant pot, Doug. You can't. You can't. Yeah. <laughs> you, you don't have to eat robot ramen noodles on a, uh, how did you cook them in college? Maybe a hot plate or the microwave or uh, there was always a dirty microwave in the middle of the dorm hallway that like 500 people used. And if three people use a microwave and don't clean it, it gets pretty shitty. But when like 500 college students 
uh, <laughs> microwave. It's probably the origin of COVID or <laughs> who knows what. It was rough. It was rough in some of those uh, common common kitchens. So, all right. Well, I guess we can jump into it. We have several different misconceptions. And I guess from each of us, we can talk about the impression that we had before we started aiming towards uh, fi or fire or anything like that. So, what about you, Carl? Did you think about this in, in the past? Was it even on the radar? Uh, before I knew what fire was, I hadn't thought about any of this because I just assumed everyone worked until they were 65 or 70. I had one relative who died on the job and that's kind of how I thought everyone did it. I had no idea fire was a thing. And then I discovered it one day on the internet. Thank you, internet. And my first thought was, wow, this is awesome. Like, I love fire. I don't have to work for the rest of my life. My job isn't going to kill me, which I thought was actually going to happen because it was so stressful. And the next thing I did after that is I'm like, I have to tell all my friends about this because I don't think either of them know about this either. <laughs> and, and in my head, I thought my friends are going to be like, oh my God, this is amazing. I'm going to do the same thing as you. And in four years, we'll quit. We'll ride mountain bikes and hike and drink beer all day and life will be glorious. But they, without exception, I think all of my, and I hate the word normal because it sounds judgmental and shitty, but all of my friends who were on the the normal track in life, we'll say, reacted quite the opposite. They they all fought me and they all had a ton of excuses for why they thought this idea was bullshit or why they couldn't do it. And that's kind of the origin of what we're going to talk about today. I think many of these are arguments that my friends had and still have to this day, which uh, which I kind of find amusing. I cannot, <laughs> I think I've got a pretty good life. They see it and like, no, no, I'm not going to do that. So let's try to dispel some of these myths and talk about them. How about you, Doug? When you discovered fire, what did you? I I think by the time, by the time I found fire and heard a little bit about it, I was already drinking the Kool Aid from entrepreneurship and side hustles, and I realized people could do things on their own. So, and it really wasn't that long ago. I guess roughly the same time frame as you. And when I think back, maybe when I was maybe even a teenager or in my 20s, I probably thought, hey, if someone stops working before they hit, quote, retirement age, they were probably rich in some capacity. They got lucky somehow or another. Yep. And it didn't occur to me until you were telling your story, which is, is weird. I should be listening to you instead of thinking about my own stories. But that's that's what I do. I think most people do, right? Yeah. So you're just thinking about yourself right now. It's all good, Doug. I, I still love you. <laughs> so we have we have uh, this this guy who lived in the neighborhood. He was a family, so he had a whole family. I cut grass for him, so that's how I knew him. And he had a, I think, a courier business in say the early to mid '90s in Atlanta, and he sold his business while I was cutting grass for him. So I remember kind of all of a sudden they had a few new SUVs. They were home all the time. So I think he probably hit fire because he sold his business. So he grew a business, sold a business. It never occurred to me until just now that they were probably, and you know what? A lot of people, after they sell a business, they end up starting another one. It's just kind of the thing that they do. 
So I think he probably started another business. I do know he moved and his, his family got a nice house sort of like out in the country. And I think they were just hanging out for a little while. So Okay. Doug, that's so interesting. And I want to make one more point before I, I get into this. Well, two more points. One, I was thinking about myself as you were talking. <laughs> but the thing I was thinking about is I've seen similar stories and it's seen similar family members who thinking about it in retrospect, probably are fired. But the problem is, and I really dislike this about um, our societies, we're so secretive with money. Like, it's so taboo. Like, you don't want to ask people about religion, sex, or money because you just don't talk about that. It's not polite. But what if we did talk about it? What if we were all open about it and in a sensible manner? What if we didn't brag about it? What if we just said, hey, I've done well. I, st- I started this business and now I don't have to work anymore. Here's how I did it. Oh, okay. May I ask you a couple of questions about that? If we were all more open, I think we'd all be a little bit better off. We probably wouldn't compete with each other as much because I think people kind of buy fancy shit like cars to try to compensate for maybe lack of money or perceived lack of money. Uh, so yeah, I, I wish we were more open with money. And that's one of the main reasons I've always put, this is kind of scary, don't look at my blog, but I stick my net worth on there just because I don't want it to be, uh, this is kind of weird and paradoxical, I guess, if that's the right word, but I want to talk about money so we don't have to talk about money anymore. Let's get it out in the open and let's move on about it. Let's help each other out with it. And then let's figure out what's next and figure out how to live a better life, which is far more important than money. But money is at the base of the pyramid. So that's where you have to start. Yeah. And I think just sharing your net worth is a good step in that direction, but I I don't do that. And it's, it's weird to do on the internet. Actually, the internet altogether is weird, especially if you're a, a, some personality. I don't, really like to use the word influencer, but I think that's the vernacular that's probably most accurate. But when you're putting yourself out there, it's uh, it's awkward just by default. Yeah, and totally. then when you start putting your net worth, it's even more awkward. So kudos to you, but I, I think you're exactly right. I have relatives and I just, I wish that I, and at some point I will bring it up, but I wish I would like bring it up. Like, hey, you guys, doing okay like it's unclear if you have your shit together or not because we just don't talk about money specifically uh, especially amounts or what goals people have so yeah um and i go ahead no i'm sorry doug i was gonna say we better watch it we have a fantastic outline and we're liable to go on a two-hour tangent so we'll we'll hit the main topics and we'll come back to some of those uh, sure and tangents. I, th- I think that could be a topic for all other shows so maybe we should save it i've got i was again i was thinking while you were talking which but i was listening to you too i was so you gave me good thoughts which uh yeah it's all good it's perfect well and it's very meta but we'll we'll talk about it i think it'll be that kind of podcast when we're doing a podcast, it's perfect if you're thinking about the other things that you're about to say. That way, there's less dead air. So, I think it's perfect. Our brains are working hard, and it makes the show flow even better. So, with that said, I'm going to send it to you for the number one misconception. And these are in no specific order. So, when Doug says number one, it doesn't mean that it's the most important. It is just the very first thing that comes into my mind. I'm trying to think which is the most important. And yeah, you can make that judgment call, viewers. But the first one we have is you have to quit your job. So FIRE stands for Financial Independence Retire Early. So when people hear the word retire, 
if you Google that word, it literally means to cease doing something. So people say, well, the financial independent stuff might be okay, but I, I don't want to quit my job. Have you heard this, Doug? A, a little bit, a little bit, not, not as much, but I know, I, I think it's probably because people don't know what to do. So did you hear it a lot? I mean, are people, is this a resistant point here? Uh, yeah, I think it's a, it's a very strong one. People will say, well, I really like my, my job, but the whole point of fire isn't really to quit your job. It's to become financially independent and then do what you want after that. So what I always, the argument I always make to people when they say, oh, I, I love my job. I don't want to quit. I'm like, well, if I gave you $10 million today to leave your job and you can never come back, would you take it? And there's some people who wouldn't, but I think the vast majority of people would take it. Doug, if I gave you $10 million to quit this podcast, would you? <laughs> <laughs> ah, you know what? If I gave you 500 to quit. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> yeah. yeah, actually, if you just buy me lunch, I'm out. <laughs> Damn. So, you liked me more than that. I think, I think um, it's one of those things that people say because... I'm not actually, I'm not sure why they would say that, but I have a feeling if you gave someone 10 million bucks, they would probably be out the door before you could turn around. I mean, they, they would just be gone. I can't imagine, especially most of the places that I've worked and the people that I worked with, I, I mean, they would be out of there. <laughs> they would definitely be out of there. And I, I think I, I wanted to note why each one of these may be a um, sort of misconception. So there was a 2017 Gallup poll and it revealed that 30% of full-time workers are engaged at work. So th those are people that kind of like their job, they're engaged. So 30%, 16% are actively disengaged. So I would say they definitely don't like their job very much. <laughs> and that means that they're complaining about their job. They're resenting it. And they're bringing down morale. And I have been in that 16% before, depending on what project I was working on. And that leaves roughly, uh, you know, 70% if we do the math that generally don't like their job too much. So I think, you know, it's a conception that you should quit your job once you hit financial independence, but you don't have to. Yeah. You don't have to if you don't want to. So I, one, one thing from the actively disengaged and I'll talk about myself and in my job. So I worked in consulting and it was project-based. So a lot of times you might be on a project that had, I don't know, a six to 12 month timeframe. And then once you finished, you went to another project. So it was kind of good in that way. There was often variety. And if you really hated a project, you can kind of force yourself off. You can't do that all the time, but that made it a little bit better and, and just provided variety for me. So I was in the 16% for certain projects. Maybe you have a, a bad boss. Maybe it's a bad company to work with. For example, the clients weren't very positive and everyone was negative. So those are the sort of times where I was actively disengaged and hated my job. <laughs> How much do you think control plays into it? Cause I, I'm thinking right now we're talking about how you don't have to work and financial independence and we're both financially independent and look, we're both kind of working right now. It depends how you want it to find work, which is another topic. And we've actually, <laughs> so far we've paid money to do this. Uh, we had to buy the domain and 
you've got all this fancy equipment here. So we're actually paying to do work, but we're in control of it. We've chosen to do this. Uh, I think there's a lot that goes into that. A lot of people like parts of our job, but we don't like all the surrounding things that go with it. We don't like having to be there certain hours or not being able to go to our kids function or having to work overtime on weekends or be on support. But if I think more people might choose to stay at their job if they could do their core work and they could do it more on their own terms, which isn't feasible. I'm just uh, trying to get to the bottom of this, why work is difficult. And mm-hmm. yeah. 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 I think you're, I think you're right. I know the, jobs that I had and the projects that I worked on where I had a lot more autonomy, I was much happier where I wasn't micromanaged. Maybe it was a more flexible work schedule and it made it so much more tolerable versus right traveling. I have to get on a plane on Monday mornings, wake up super early, head straight to the office, fly back on Thursdays late. And you know, those kind of projects kind of sucked. I know it, it can seem glamorous to travel for work, but a lot of times the the day-to-day is really, you're sitting around at an airport, there's delays, and it's just kind of a pain in the ass. Yeah, so, sure. Sounds negative now. Okay, <laughs> so num- you don't have to quit your job. If you, if you don't want to, you don't have to quit your job. And the other part, um, the RE, so the retire early portion, do you know the origin of the fire... Uh, what would you call it? The moniker? I'm not sure the, the right f- term for it, but that abbreviation, it, it's great marketing. It sounds awesome. So do you know who ori- like originally said that? Um, I'm kind of embarrassed to admit this, but not only do I not know the answer to that question, I've never even thought about it before, which I guess is pretty silly on my part since I've been writing about it for almost a decade. How about you, Doug? Is this a trick question? Do you know the answer? I, I don't know. And this is why Hopefully, we'll get a producer someday who can look this up and then feed us the information as we go. But yeah, I, I don't know. And my my thought is, it's a good name. It sounds cool to say because people are thinking, hey, what's fire? I don't even know what that is. It sounds dangerous. Is there some sort of uh, wildfire in the hills uh, close by? Or is this something that I should be interested in? And then you start looking and understanding what's going on. Um, so from a marketing standpoint... It's fantastic. It's a cool name that people are interested in. And then the media would take that name and run with it in stories because it's a great headline. So I think even if people like us are actively saying, hey, it's not retire early. We're just talking about financial independence. Forget the other part. The news stories, even if we explicitly told them, hey, we're not retired, they would still throw it in there. That's hilarious, Doug. It's, uh, I think you're onto something there. So if FIRE would have been called f- uh, Financial Independence, Do What You Want, which would have translated to <laughs> Can you imagine Tom Brokaw? Today we talk, we're talking to Doug Cunnington of the <laughs> movement. It would not have caught on. So yeah, there you have it. Nice discovery, Doug. So it's a, it's a good name. It's a great headline. And I think that's probably one of the, the main main troubles with it. So, all right. Anything else with the have to quit your job? I don't think so. If you would do your work for free, stay there. If not, figure out what your passion is and move to that. Let's talk about number two. You have to be a quote tech bro or a high income earner. So 
and I'm going to hit the why first because I, I wasn't, uh, I didn't hear tech bro uh, too often, but occasionally it would come up and they're like, ah, this has kind of a bro atmosphere and everyone's a software developer, developer or something like that. And I, I think it's because a lot of the, the trailblazers and people that talked about financial independence often came from a tech background. So Mr. Money Mustache, probably the godfather, he's the person that sort of turns you on to the whole thing. You're a software developer. You have a software background. I have a computer engineering degree and ended up doing software. So it's pretty easy to connect the dots and think, hey, it's only for those people that have high paying jobs. So I think that's why, but like many things, once you start investigating, you quickly see that there's examples of all sorts of people that reached financial independence and not just recently. I mean, you can go back and look, uh, someone may, and I, I'm just making up an example, but you can go back to the eighties or seventies or whatever. And someone just realized, Hey, I'm going to quit working, do my own thing. And they quote retired early, which maybe they actually did stop working. I'm not sure, but it's not, it's not a, uh, rule or anything like that. And I think, you know, a lot more people in the, the Phi community. So I bet you have a list of professions that people have had with a wide range of earnings and they've stopped their uh, traditional job and they hit Phi. Yeah. I've thought about this a lot recently in light of what's going on in the world. And one of the things I came to is it was easy for me to see Mr. Money Mustache, and it was easy to follow him. Uh, I think because of some of my own internal biases, he kind of was the same as me. Uh, a guy close to my age who is in tech, it was pretty easy for me to see myself in him and to just follow in his footsteps. But that was kind of sad too, because like you said, a lot of the early people looked just like Pete. Uh, Pete even joked around like flannel, guys who wear flannel with beards or something like that. But the thing I've seen that's made me a lot happier recently, we've been going to this financial conference since uh, 2013, is everything's gotten much more diverse in, in every way, in, in the age of the people, and the color of the people, uh, orientations, uh, everything is much more diverse, which is good, because this shouldn't be for one group of people, it should be for everyone who wants to, to do it. With that said, it's going to be more difficult if you don't have that high-paying IT college degree. You're going to have to do something a little bit different. You're going to have to work harder. You might have to figure out another path because you don't have that starting point of a huge amount of money. I think, Doug, when we talked before, you might have mentioned your your father, who was a blue-collar guy who retired early. Is that correct? Yep. Firefighter, and he got a nice pension, and we always... We didn't need anything, but we didn't have like extravagant homes or vacations or anything like that. So when I think back, I realize, oh, he followed a budget pretty tight. He knew what was coming in, what was going out, never went into debt and did a really nice job making sure we had what we needed. We were able to do the activities we wanted to do and go to college. And although just a side note, I paid for all my schooling. So 
that's a, I think that's another piece of the puzzle and didn't accrue any debt. So that's also super helpful, but I didn't have my college paid for Cause I think some people may think, Oh, you guys have it made. You got a, a free education and high paying job and blah, blah, blah. And, and I think a lot of these, it, I think a lot of them are kind of excuses. People can use these as an excuse. And that's not to say that I don't appreciate the advantages that I had to, uh, you know, get into certain schools or, or whatever. But although I went to a public school going on a big tangent here, but bringing it back in, there's a ton of examples if you start looking. And if you are only looking for examples where it is uh, high income earners in the tech industry, you can find plenty of those. But if you want to find teachers, there's a whole other subculture of financial independence teachers or um other, I'm trying to think of just other, other professions out there. I don't, I don't think about it too often. So, yeah, I, I know a couple of people in the trades. One is a plumber. Another one is an electrician. And uh, the funny thing about them is they'll probably do better than I ever did because they have a three to four year head start. They didn't mess around in college for God, how long did I mess around in college for too long? Six years uh, for something I never even used on my job. I was biology and chemistry. Uh, so these friends I have who are in the trades will probably, if they have this information and they do, they'll probably end up at a much higher, at a much better place than me at a younger age than I ever did. And yeah, this is a, this is a difficult conversation that there's privilege and just being born in the United States. We're incredibly, I don't know if lucky is the right word, but we're definitely privileged uh, to not been born in some horrific country there's a lot of opportunity just being born here. Uh, the United States has its issues, but um, no place is perfect. But yeah, this is a, uh, we should bring another person on who is from one of these uh, different uh, trades or has achieved fire from a different standpoint than us to talk about this. Yep. I agree. And one other note, I think I probably could have hit five much earlier if I never went to college and didn't do any of the stuff that I usually talk about. That is because I cut grass when I was in, actually I started when I was in middle school, all through high school. And the dude that I was telling you about that sold his business, he actually pulled me aside one one day and said, hey, you have a nice business going here. You're cutting grass for the, in this nice neighborhood. You could hire a couple people to help you out. You could set things up. You wouldn't have to do the work and you can grow a nice little business here and sell it just like I did. And I, I thought, ah, you know, I don't know if I want to do that. I was pretty soon after that going to head to college. I mean, it may have been my junior year, but I said, ah, I'm probably going to go to Georgia Tech, do this engineering thing. And he said, ah, you maybe want to check out the business stuff. I think you have something going here. So in hindsight, I probably could have done that, run a business for a little while, probably sold it after a few years, like a lot of places in the uh, late nineties, it was grow like Atlanta was growing a ton. Lots of people were moving there. People were still moving there. Uh, so I pretty sure I could have hit five and I wasn't investing. I basically used the money to pay for school like an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you, uh, running a grass cutting business or a landscaping business may not have been as intellectually satisfying for you. And 
College is a difficult topic, but there are <laughs> benefits to going to college above and beyond the job, although I think that should be the primary reason why you should go to college. Indeed, indeed. All right, what's next? Achieving fire is a sacrifice. This is an interesting one because you tell people, hey, you fire, you just got to save some money, create a, a, a gap between what you spend and what you earn. You invest that correctly, and then you can retire early. And what I find is a lot of people hear this and they say, well, I don't want to make the sacrifices necessary to do this. I'm perfectly happy with my life now, so I'm not going to do this. Doug, have you heard this before? All the time. It's the primary one that I hear. Usually it's, I want to just keep spending money on the, the things that I really love. So it's easy... I try not to push too hard on this stuff. Obviously, uh, people can get turned off really quick if if you just try to ha- hammer them with information or anything like that. So I'm I'm quite aware, and I'm like, ah, that's true. Y- you do have options, but uh, yeah, I'll tur- I'll send it back to you. Yeah, yeah, it's so interesting because you hear a lot of people say, I-, I aspire to own this or that, and then when you get to that point and own that stuff, you find that it doesn't really make you happy. And I know this from personal experience. We our, our last house, or two houses ago, God, we're always moving houses because we do these live and flips. Topic for another show. Anyway, two houses ago, we had a house that had five bedrooms and four bathrooms, and we were getting ready to finish off the basement and put another bedroom and bathroom in there. So now we're up to six bedrooms and five bathrooms for this family of four. We would have had like 1.25 toilets per person. Like, how ridiculous is that? But we found quickly after buying this house that it didn't make us happy. We didn't like the house itself and all the upkeep around it. We didn't like the property taxes. We didn't like our massive water bill. We had to water the grass. But most of all, we didn't like the community. The people around us didn't have our values. So we went from that to a, a two-bedroom, one-bathroom house. And the strange thing, it was a dump. We bought this place on purpose to fix up. It was a foreclosure infested with Rodents and ants, uh, fun for the kids. Uh, I've got a good story around that some point. <laughs> but what I unexpectedly found after a couple months of this, uh, of moving into this new house, is we were happier there because we enjoyed the people around us and we had a, a better community for both ourselves as adults and for our kids. They had people to play with. So the things that you think might be a sacrifice aren't a sacrifice. And there's also a sacrifice to not doing this, which we'll talk about a little bit later, if you're not saving anything and not taking care of your future, you might find yourself in a, in a bad spot at some point. Mm -hmm. And I think some of these blend together. So hopefully I'm not going too far ahead here, but as far as a, a sacrifice, it's really easy for someone to look at fire, make it very much about frugality and think, well, I want to drive a nice car. I have a specific job where I need to make sure I have a nice car and they think, oh, I love to go out to eat too. And they're just thinking of excuses on why it would never work. But from my perspective, and I don't think we sacrificed very much, we really just looked at what we were spending money on and tried to figure out what was actually important to us. It turned out sometimes it's not a good match. Sometimes you are spending money on something that you think is making you happy, but then you realize that it's it's really not. So one good example is going out to eat. 
So I probably used to go out to eat a little more often. Actually, we used to go out to eat a lot more often, especially in our 20s. And turns out I really like cooking and I enjoy cooking. And it's usually way, way cheaper to cook at home, even if you get really expensive ingredients. So I typically will buy maybe a really expensive cut of meat because I enjoy getting, you know, prime beef, like good, good stuff and have a really nice steak. So it's fairly expensive when you go buy the prime beef, but it's way cheaper than if you went out to a restaurant and if you're in a big city, maybe you have to pay for parking, then you have to tip and then there's a huge markup on the food. And it turns out I'm a pretty fucking good cook. <laughs> so my steaks are often better than what you can get out. Doug, I've never, well, actually you did invite me over to your house, but I had a family health emergency, but I really look forward to the next time you invited us over for barbecue, I think. So yeah. next time I'm going to make that no matter who in my family happens to be dying at the time. <laughs> but the other thing I think turns people off and they think it's a sacrifice is uh, Jacob Lund Fisker and Pete, uh, Jacob Lund Fisker talked about living on, I think $7,000 a year. And I think he might've, uh, he might've talked about living on rice and beets. I don't remember that, but something about living in a grandmother's attic and Pete living on $24,000 a year. I wouldn't do either of those. We live on much more than that. So fire is whatever it's going to be to you. You don't have to be like Jacob or you don't have to be like Pete, figure out what makes you truly happy. And I think you'll usually find that it costs less than you think. Yep. And one example from the four hour work week, just to test things out. So just, did you read the four hour work week? By the I, way? I did Tim Ferriss. So one of the, one of the things that, that Tim tells you to do is to test out what you think will make you happy. Because for example, uh, what, what was the fancy expensive car that you bought? It was an Acura NSX. Okay. How much did that cost when you bought it? It was $45,000. Oh, it hurts me to say that a little bit. <laughs> so a little pricey, probably pretty fun. You eventually got rid of it. I think there's a whole blog post on it, but instead of buying it, you could have rented one or, maybe not borrowed one, but you could have rented one for a day or a week and tested it out, just had a good time. You wouldn't have had the overhead. Maybe it would have been a thousand bucks or 2000, but it's definitely cheaper than 45,000. And then whatever heartache that you had to go through to, to buy it, think about it, then to decide to get rid of it and all the thought process. And you could have, you could have got Porsches and other expensive uh, things, right? So you could test out your theory and what you think will make you happy. Yeah, now you tell me this, Doug. <laughs> so it's a it's a great technique. And one other side tangent is I had some uh, friends who had sort of a, a midlife, quarter-life crisis situation. They bought a bunch of property in the mountains of Montana, built a custom home, and they, they really, you know, seized life and they wanted to make sure that they were doing things that made them happy. However, they didn't realize or test what it was like in the winter in Montana. Ooh. And it's cold and there's a shitload of snow, like many feet of snow. And it's fairly isolated. It was a pretty small uh, town. It was uh, Red Lodge, Montana, on the Beartooth Highway. Beautiful place. 
kind of tough to live there and they didn't test it out. Eventually they sold the place at a pretty big loss before they relocated to a little larger city that was more their speed. The whole point being they could have tested it out. They could have rented a house there for a week or a month or a year and and checked it out before sinking whatever, $800,000 into a house and, you know, big property and all that stuff. Or they could have just watched The Shining. Have you ever seen that, Doug? Oh, one of my favorite movies. (laughs) Johnny, it sounds like the same situation almost. (laughs) Yeah, very close. It ended uh, ended different, luckily. So Yeah, that's good. (laughs) All right, what's next here? Is it my turn? Oh, let's see. We're on to number four. Yeah, Doug, why don't you kick this one off? Some people might think I love my work, so fire doesn't apply to me. And number one, I'm going to refer back to (laughs) the first point, which is most people actually don't like their job. So if you actually like your job, you're so lucky. You figured out what you like to do. You somehow matched up the the job with your interest and how you like to spend your time. So you're a unicorn. Congratulations. That's fantastic. The big thing is... It's about options. So if we ignore the retire early portion, again, you don't have to quit. It's just about getting your finances in order, understanding what's coming in, what's going out, which I had, honestly, I had no clue about until I got married. And I think I told you my my wife was like, dude, wh- what is going on? What, where is all the money going here? So once you have an understanding, it's very, very clear what's going on and you can aim however you want, if you want to save a lot more or save just a little bit, but having that in place and understanding your expenses, becoming a saver gives you options. That's probably the most important thing is to have flexibility on the variables that you can't control basically. Cause there's so many things just out of our hands. Yeah. We'll talk about this a little bit more, but Whenever people say, I don't like fire, this isn't for me, blah, blah, blah. I don't care. Who cares if you don't like fire? Screw all that shit. But there's so much value to getting, I, I want to reiterate what you said, write down all your expenses, write down what you spend and write down what comes in every month. Because there's so much value to just doing that at a basic level and figuring out where you're going wrong with money and then figure out what to do with the extra money and figure out how to properly invest, figure out your 401k, Roth IRA, figure out which one's right for you. We'll talk about that on a future episode, but there's a ton of value in getting money, right? You read about, I don't know if this this is true or not. I might just be parroting bullshit people say, but I've heard that money is one of the biggest reasons, if not the biggest reason why people get divorced. So just for that, for the mental and emotional stability Get your money right so you don't have to worry about that shit. Uh, we're kind of at the end of COVID here, but if there was ever a time to talk about this, it, it's right now. And no matter how much you love your job, your job might not always love you. And you want to be prepared for that situation. Hope for the best, but have a backup plan for the worst in case that does happen. And one other point about people loving their job, things could change. So COVID changed a lot of things, but it can even be a minor sort of shift. Your new boss comes in and runs things much differently than your old boss. And all of a sudden the job that you loved now is terrible and you want to quit. And I know 
again, from my consulting days where you're working on a specific project, you know, you're going to get off that project at some point so you can bear it, deal with a difficult boss. But sometimes you don't have that luxury. Most of the time you don't have that luxury. You're working for one boss and uh, positions uh, don't shift. There's not a lot of turnover. So again, a job that you love may turn into one that's terrible when management changes. Yeah, that's a great point, Doug. And one thing I think that turns people off the fire movement is you see these articles on these news sites, like meet this couple who retired at like 18. It's not 18, it's more like 32, but and then they'll show this beautiful couple. She's wearing a bikini. He's got uh, his Speedo on and they're in front of their camper van on the beach or you'll see some someone in Southeast Asia and all these glamorous pictures, sipping coffee and with these big shit-eating smiles on their faces. And I can see why that would piss people off and turn them off too. Like, this is a bunch of shit, but people don't talk about the negatives. Like, my father passed away this summer and it was a prolonged sickness, like three months, and I was able to jump in the car and drive 2,000 miles round trip multiple times. I think I did it three times to support my family. So get your money straight. So you might be able to experience those good things like going to Southeast Asia, whatever the hell these uh, people on the, on the internet do, or for the bad things when you unexpectedly lose your job, when a family member gets sick, when your wife leaves you for the uh, the, the podcaster. Uh, I, I don't think You're the podcaster ever, now. Jeez, I, <laughs> I don't think that's ever happened, but... So there's a ton of value in getting your money straight, no matter what you want out of life or what you think you want out of life. Yep. And same deal. I actually lost my mom to cancer and I took, I guess, a couple months off last year and turning back the clock a, a little bit, I took off a month to go on a big road trip with my parents before she was even sick. So it was like a month before she was diagnosed with cancer. So it was great to have the flexibility to spend time with my family, especially before she got sick. And then when she did, when she did get sick, I had tons of flexibility to go visit, spend time and, and help out the family as I could. So yeah, people get sick. Your family is getting older. So having that flexibility is a huge thing. Cause I know some people, you know, they may have to take off a couple of weeks to go help out their family, but we were able to do so much more than, um, you know, someone with a full-time job, for example. Yeah. I'm so thankful for it. And all the little things too, you can be there for your kids events or, or in Doug's case his dog's events. Your dog has lots of stuff going on, right? Yeah. Yeah. She, uh, she hasn't competed in the uh, the Frisbee competitions recently, but Georgie, the Border Collie over on Instagram, uh, is quite the athlete. Oh, she's awesome. I, I've seen her in action in the front yard. And it's epic. It's pretty insane. So before we get to the next one, I'm just going to give a plug for our email list, and you can join the Mile High Fi Club. And you actually go to that domain. I was smart enough to buy this. So milehighfi.club. You can sign up for our email list where we'll tell you about new upcoming episodes. And we haven't talked about this too much. Do you have any visions for um, like some things you might want to share on a weekly basis or anything like that? Ah, weekly basis. Uh, Doug, I think we should ask each other questions about ourselves maybe, and maybe we kind of surprise each other. Uh, we could talk about books we're reading. I started an interesting one just two days ago. 
things we're doing, uh, interesting blog posts we've seen lately or uh, stories in the news, although the news kind of sucks. Forget that one. Don't watch the news. Yeah. Maybe we can just look at the ads that are shown on news websites like CNN and just do the clickbait stuff. You, you ever see that lady who's stretching in a funny way? Have you seen that ad? I think I have. What's it actually an ad for? I'm not sure. It's probably some sort of constipation thing. <laughs> I assume that's the ads that you see. I imagine those are the ones that follow you. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I think they are pretty much all the same things. This one little, what's the one? You know, this one little tip to, and they always show some person's face on it. It's, I'm sure yeah. it's all a bunch of bullshit. Or it's like, are you eating eggs wrong? And it's like, what the fuck yeah. are these people doing with the eggs? It's like, just don't eat the shell. You're in pretty good shape. <laughs> All right, so join the email list. There could be good stuff or there could be nonsense. I'm not, we're not 100% sure yet. But. It's going to be awesome. All right, and it's called the Mile High Phi Club. So you definitely want to join that. I, I'm thinking we can have some pretty cool t-shirts associated with that for uh, events and stuff. Oh, I was telling Doug before we started that, I designed this t-shirt, which should be plainly obvious because no one in the world would actually buy this thing. But yeah, Doug, I will design shirts and I like to give them away. So all you have to do is ask nicely and I, I will give you a mile high fi or some kind of dinosaur themed t-shirt or maybe one with Doug's face. I think those will be the, the popular ones. <laughs> so for the people on the podcast that are just listening, describe your shirt so they could sort of get an idea. Um, it is a dinosaur that is, oops, I'm holding the, this in front of my mouth or in front of my shirt. It is a dinosaur that is thinking about money, which T-Rexes often did back in the uh, Triassic period, or they're more of a Cretaceous dinosaur. And there's a happy sun here, so I have no idea what's going on with this shirt. I'm not very creative, so this is the best I could come up with. Don't don't judge me. Hey, it's free. It hits all the, the high marks, so it looks good. It's colorful. I like it. It, it hits something. In. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so we're... We're coming down the home stretch here. And the next one, Carl, what do we have? The next one is you cannot have nice stuff. So Doug already told everyone about my fancy $45,000 Acura NSX, which is long since gone because it did not bring me happiness. But I, I think I had to have it to discover that I would not like it, which is kind of silly. And I suppose I'm not as adjusted as well as I could be. But there you have it. The good thing is I sold it for exactly what I bought it for. But the thing is, if you really do want this stuff or think that the nice car, the nice car or vacation home or fancy stereo system is going to bring you happiness, we're not saying that you can't have it. We're just saying maybe wait a couple of years for it. Because here's the thing about money. Once you get that snowball running, it'll take care of your, itself. Put that money away. Let compound interest do its thing. And when you're financially independent or at least in a better spot in life, then go ahead and buy that fancy thing and see if it really brings you happiness. So you can have it. And in the meantime, we said before, you don't have to live on 7000 a year like Jacob Lund Fisker. You don't have to eat rice and beans or live in someone's attic. You can if that's what you want to do. And Doug, this is a silly thought, but I've often thought if I was like 22 and had my fancy tech job and to do it all over again, what would you do? What would I do? And I think I'd probably do the exact same thing, Doug. I'd probably pay you rent to live right here in your basement. I'd ask you to put a toilet in or I do it myself because this would be pretty cheap. I would hope you would give me, I'd mow your lawn, Doug, and do other things for you, but I probably would do that and make extreme sacrifices. But just because I'm an insane, not well-adjusted person doesn't mean you have to do it. 
You don't have to eat rice and beans. You can have your what, whatever car you want. You can have what you want. Just get the money part of your life in, in order first. That stuff will be there waiting for you when it's done. Not even that long. Save, save hard for five years and see what your money situa- situation is at the time. And the funny thing is you might be better adjusted than me and realize you don't even want that fancy thing when you finally realize you can have it. Yep. I think this is another one of those excuses that people can use and they they think, hey, I'd love to eat out at really fancy restaurants a couple times a week. And I know you, you were saying you can put it off. It is okay. And I'm saying, sure, you could put it off, but you also can do that. If you know your expenses and you know your income, then maybe instead of retiring, you know, 15 years early, it's just 10 years early. So it may take you five more years to accumulate whatever you're trying to accumulate and you can go on those big vacations or do, you could do whatever you want, right? It, It doesn't really matter as long as you have the math and you're aiming in the right direction. So you, you can put it off and that is totally fine. I think it's worthwhile. You can also put it off and then you can rent the thing that you think is going to make you happy or test it out. Again, going back to the four hour work week, you could test it out and see, and then maybe I didn't realize you bought the car for 45 and you sold it for 45. There's some transactional costs or whatever, but uh, that turned out pretty well, I would say. Yeah. It's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. It, it did turn out well. I wish I would not have done it in the first place, but there you have it. But Doug, I think you hit on something pretty important there. Y- you could have whatever you want as long as you're making conscious, thoughtful decisions and are aware of the trade-offs. Sure, I'm going to do this or go out to eat. I'm going to have my, how do you pronounce W? I was in Costco and they had a steak. I was thinking about you with a steak called mm-hmm. W-A-Y-G-U, is that? Wahoo. Wahoo. So is that some like Japanese steak? It is. Or Brazilian or something? It's it's supposed to be like the American or North American version of the Kobe steak. Because Kobe can only be from like Kobe, Japan and where they massage the cows and feed them beer. Is that the thing? Kobe. Um, Wait, are you talking about the cows or me, Doug? I'm going to come live. (laughs) No, yeah, yeah. I think you're right. Those cows have a pretty good life, I guess, right up until the end. But I, yeah. I saw the steak at Costco and it was like a hundred bucks. But if you want to invite Mindy and I over for that kind of steak or the Kobe, we die. And we could, we could literally, we could all pitch in 25 bucks. Cause I don't think we need the whole thing, right? We could just each have a little piece and that's, have like a sampling, right? Yeah. That's a great idea. I'm, I'm going off topic here, but yeah. If the, did you say that was Wahoo steak or? Uh, Wagyu. 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 Okay. If that's your thing and you have to have that, go for it. Just be aware of what you're trading off to get there. Do that. Calculation where I'm spending a hundred bucks a month on steak, twelve hundred a year, and see how far back you'll be set. So as long as you're thoughtful about these decisions, I, I, I think it's okay. Yep. And again, you have to look at your priorities. So I spend a lot on the the raw goods for food. We don't eat out too much, and honestly, nowadays during COVID, a lot of people are not eating out that often anyway. So we also spend a lot on beer. I buy a lot of beer. I drink a lot of beer. I'll buy expensive stuff. So it may be, you know, $15, $18 for like one bottle. Now I don't drink that every day, but it's something that I enjoy and I, I buy them and and they're expensive. And I think probably in my younger days, I would have scoffed at it, but I have a lot better handle on my finances now. So it's not too bad. Yeah. And 
the the final thing that we do treat as a priority, and again, anyone can spend on whatever they want, is travel. So it's very easy to like go way out of control with travel and stay in a restaurant or sorry, stay in a hotel that's super expensive or eat at very expensive restaurants. You're not able to cook. You basically have to eat out most of the time. Or you could be a lot more frugal. So again, whatever your priority is, you can adjust accordingly. But those are things that you know we spend money on: beer, food, travel. So fairly decadent, I would say. Yeah, but in the, it's also not decadent because the two things you really have to get right as far as personal finance are housing and cars. So if you're being pretty conservative there, don't have a six or eight hundred dollar a month car payment. I once had a friend who had a thousand dollars a month car payment, which is what our house payment is. And if you can have a uh, reasonable home or reasonable living arrangements, which if Mindy gets mad at me, I will be moving into your basement after hearing about $18 bottles of beer and your fancy steaks, Doug. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, if you can get a couple things right, you could still do this. And I was thinking about installing a urinal just right over there. So I think that'll be a good addition to the studio. <laughs> I, it's funny you mentioned that, Doug, because I once threatened Mindy, Mindy with a urinal in one of our bathrooms and I was... Very, very quickly shot down. She, the wife, did not approve of a urinal. Not even in in the new basement. Not even in the basement. Is that kind of what showers are for? Oh, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think you're right. And I, I was going to mention just on the frugality. So I, I mentioned I do spend a lot on beer and stuff, but you know when the toothpaste gets down to the very end, yes. you know if you cut open your toothpaste tube, there's like another week of toothpaste in there. Are you serious? Yeah. So that's one of the, the money saving uh, things. So, you know, if people want to save, I'm, I'm just kidding, of course. I, I, actually, there is a lot of toothpaste in there, but you're saving like pennies by doing uh, silly frugal stuff like that. I, I would totally. No, I thought you were serious and I'm totally going to do that. The funny thing is I'm almost out of toothpaste. I remember my grandparents were children of the depression and they had this device I've never seen before. It was a roller you would attach to your toothpaste. And every time you wouldn't squeeze it. You'd turn this dial on the roller so you could get every little bit out. And I always thought that was pretty cool. Maybe not from a money perspective, but from a lack of waste perspective. But Doug, I'm going to cut my toothpaste open. Yeah. And you'll find uh, sunscreen, same deal, or expensive lotions. I see we both have very good skin and we moisturize apparently. So yeah, if you buy some uh, really expensive moisturizers, you could cut open the end. And actually that is uh, really expensive. Uh, lotion is so expensive. So you could cut that, <laughs> cut that open and, and get a lot more out of there. Oh my God. What I do, and I just did this last night when I took a shower is the shampoo is empty, but you know, there's still stuff in there. So I, I always fill up the water, shake it up and then put that on your head. Cause you can always, I guess it's not an issue for you, Doug, but no. I was going to say, are you still wasting money on shampoo and haircuts, man? <laughs> I, I have used a bar of soap to cleanse my hair. <laughs> Yeah, for the podcast listeners, I'm bald and I've been shaving my head for a pretty long time. And even before that, I had just clippers. So I, I kept it pretty, pretty tight. I I had, uh, I guess right now I have a very mild male pattern baldness. No, I'm just kidding. Completely bald. And I, I mean, yeah, I don't buy shampoo. Don't need it. <laughs> Another money saving tip. You heard it here first. All right, moving on, we are at, I'm doing a bad job keeping track. I don't remember who's supposed to go, but I'm just going to go because I'm talking. 
The 4% rule is immutable. And we talked about this a lot in the last episode. And I think the the big punchline is it's a wonderful guide to get you moving in the right direction. But you know, what else, what else can we add to this? Yeah. So the 4% rule is something I love and hate all at the same time, because people get so obsessed with it. You'll read someone's blog post or, or see a news article and they'll be like, well, I ran the numbers and I'm redoing it. And I've come up to a, for me, my safe withdrawal rate is 3.64834. No, I exaggerated there, but people will come up with these, uh, they'll go to the hundredth place. And I think it's kind of silly for a couple different reasons. Number one is the 4% rule isn't actually a rule. Actually, there's going to be three of them. I, I can't count. Uh, so the 4% rule is more of a guideline. It was never, when this thing was come up with, it was never, the f- the name rule never appears on there. Again, we discussed this in episode two. It's kind of a loose guideline for what to do with your money and how to make it last X number of years. Number two, it's all based on historical data. I, I don't know what the future is going to be, but I can tell you one thing for certain, maybe the only thing in life I could tell you for certain is the future economic performance is not going to be the same as the past. The next 30 years will not be the same as the past. And I have no idea if it's going to be better or worse, but it will be different. So why try to pin a super tight number on something on data that you don't know what the data is going to be. That's pretty silly. Number three is there's lots of variables. You have no idea what your life is going to be like in 20 years. If you're retired without kids and can move to someplace cheap, it might be a lot cheaper. Or you might come down with some kind of horrible disease like multiple sclerosis, which have a lot of cost to them, and your life might get a lot more expensive. So the 4% rule is a great place to start. It's a great place to figure out how much you need to start your retirement, but God, for fuck's sake, be flexible and and pivot depending on the situation. If you find yourself doing really well, hey, you can let loose a little bit and buy Wagyu, sorry. Yeah, Wagyu. (laughs) Wagyu beef and $18 bottles of beer like young Doug here. Or if the shit hits the fan and it goes bad, you might want to tighten that shit up a bit. But you don't have to. I I know we talked last time how Doug got a 4% roll tattooed on a part of his body that's not visible, fortunately, for... (laughs) viewers on YouTube, but don't, don't do that. He, he didn't really do that by the way. Sorry, Doug. Um, it, use it as a guideline and then be, be flexible and pivot based on the circumstances of your life and the world. I think it's really easy for people to latch onto it. And like you said, just try to calculate something exactly when it's basically impossible to do. Yeah. The great part is You'll have plenty of time to f- figure it out. Like you'll see your numbers are off. You shouldn't just blindly aim for the 4% rule and then like not pay attention. And we're going to get into this in a little bit more detail. But if you see, for example, that your numbers are a little bit off, maybe the stock market dropped for the first couple of years when you stopped working and you weren't able to save as much, you can get a part-time job, maybe just making say 20K per year. And that's not a huge amount. You can get it at a place that you enjoy. Like maybe I would work at a bottle shop, for example, because I could hang out with people that are interested in beer. I know about beer. It makes perfect sense for me to work at a liquor store, something like that. Be kind of fun too. 
even if I'm only making 20,000 per year, if my expenses are 100,000, like it drops it by 20% just off the bat. A fun part-time job that I would almost consider a hobby. I probably get discounts on the beer, stuff like that. It would be fantastic. So you can totally offset it and just be flexible. Yeah. And also remember that, that, and Doug kind of inferred this with what he just said, the 4% rule assumes no future income. So if you're able to get a little, a little side hustle like that, you can move the needle a lot if you're frugal. The other thing is it doesn't assume things like a pension, which most of us might not get, or social security, which if you're in the United States, you will get. It's, it's a sacred cow. Politicians would never let it die. And then the last thing to throw in is you probably have equity in your home and you will hopefully eventually pay it off and then it can change your budget quite a bit. Yeah. You, your kids will leave the nest and hopefully uh, they're not a drag on the finances anymore. If they are, you can escape to a country with a non-extradition policy where they can't find you. No, no, just kidding. <laughs> it sounds like you thought about it more than I expected. So, <laughs> No comment. Okay, what's next? Okay, I've got a little story to tell you about this one. So my first job out of college, my first IT job was working for a major retailer. I don't know if I can say the name. People people never do, and I don't know if they can come back and sue you. And this one needs money at the moment. All I'll say is it rhymes with beers. And they were doing really well 20 years ago when I had the job, but I think they've since filed for bankruptcy. But when I worked there, the they had started to go down the uh, – down the tubes. They were struggling financially. The sales were going down and there were layoffs. That would happen probably every three to six months. So I remember it was a Monday. My manager comes up to me. He's like, Hey, Hey Carl, I got to tell you that we're going to be having layoffs tomorrow. I'm like, Oh shit. He's like, well, don't worry. You're not going to get laid off. But, but Chuck across the, uh, across the way is going to get laid off. I'm like, Oh crap. And before I finish the story, I should tell you a little bit more about Chuck. It, this company had all kinds of, there were lots of young people working there and they had all kinds of uh, activities. Like they would have these weekend flag football leagues and bowling leagues. And have you ever seen the movie Rushmore? Yeah. I have only seen clips of it. I haven't watched the whole uh, thing. Okay. So in that movie, there's a kid in there who was involved in every single school function. And Chuck was the same way, but with the job, his life was built around this job at the place that rhymed with beers. Uh, the coworkers would go out drinking every night and he'd do that. So I'm like, wow, this isn't going to be good for Chuck. So the, the next day came and I happened to glance over and I see this guy come get Chuck to take him to the conference room to give him the bad news. And uh, like 15 or 20 minutes later, I happened to glance over and Chuck's back and there's these tears running down his face. I'm like, oh my God, it, I'll, I'll never forget it because... Chuck had his whole life wrapped around this job. This job was everything to him. It was his identity. And within 15 minutes, it had all been destroyed. His life was brought down. I remember thinking, like, I, I better try to keep my job at arm's length. Let's have friends here. Let's be nice to people. Let's, it's good to enjoy the people you're working with, but you don't want to build your life around those people because that rug could be pulled out of you at any second. And the story was a long way of telling you the next excuse. And that's when I told people about fire, they'd often tell me, well, you'll have no purpose. You'll be bored. And you may, a friend even told me, a different friend said, you may even die if you quit your job. I'm like, wow, like, why is that? He's like, well, I've read stories about 
mailmen who quit and then they, they're just really bored and have no purpose. They get out of shape and then they die. So I don't like any of this because if your life is built around your job, you're not really cultivating a rich life outside of your job. I don't think it's a healthy way to live. Have you ever encountered people like this or? Not as much. I, I didn't actively talk about f- fire before I got laid off. So I, I came into it in, in a different way. So I haven't heard this one too much specifically with fire. However, I am familiar with, like you, like you mentioned, people, they stop working they just sit around and watch TV. They're, they don't get out. They don't do things. They're not adventurous. So I have, I've, I've heard of that. So, and, and I mean, obviously everyone dies. And <laughs> when you think about the purpose and I think about the jobs that I did, it would be very sad if my purpose in life was to work on iPhone billing software for mobile phones, right? Which is, I guess it's a redundant iPhones, right? So iPhone billing software is what I did for the primary portion of my career. So people can like look at TikTok and flip through Instagram. Like that's definitely not my purpose. So I was very, I mean, I was pretty happy to be released and, and laid off at that time. So at that point, I'm almost like, oh, life's beginning now. Like now I can do my own thing. Did you put in a little hack for yourself? Like if your social security number is this, your bill is 0.01 cents every month or something like that. So, well, that would have been really smart. But one of the, one of the things we may get into is I, I'm not a, I'm not a bad employee, but I was very middle of the road. I'm not exceptional in any way or fashion and, I didn't code. I couldn't have done that if I wanted to, <laughs> but it would have been, it would have been smart. It would have been a smart thing to do, but, yeah. but yeah, I think that's another, another side tangent theme is like, I think we're both, I don't know how average you were at your job. I'm assuming you were because you're sitting here with average. me. Okay. Yeah. I, I barely got by in a lot of ways. So if, if we can do, if we could do this, like I think anyone can. Yeah, I, I agree with you there. <laughs> Another person I thought of this with this uh, sad story is my own father. He was an electrician, and when the Great Recession happened, he was laid off, and he would never go back to work. That was it for him. The job market where he was at never recovered to what it was, and I think to this day, if he was still alive, he still would not be able to go back to work. But it destroyed him and sent him in this depressive funk that almost lasted lasted until his death. Uh, ironically, or funny enough, one of the things that got him out of it was joining a, a motorcycle, a Harley club, not like Hell's Angels or anything like that, but just a group of older guys who would ride motorcycles every weekend. And then he got a community, but I just saw how it, it, it killed him. It, it, you know, I think he might still be alive if he had a better spot just because it put him in such a funk and gave him health problems for so long. So don't wrap your life around your job. It's good to enjoy it. It's good to enjoy your coworkers, but don't build your life around it. Try to cultivate a rich life outside of work. And this will also help you should you decide to leave your job. So a lot of people, hey, I've got the money, but I don't know what the hell I'm going to do with myself now. If you've cultivated hobbies and passions and done things outside of work, it's not going to be as difficult. I think 
there still can be some value in not knowing what you want to do because it gives you some time for introspection and trying to figure yourself out. But for most people, it's going to be much easier if you know what the hell you're going to do with yourself after you stop working, like maybe even starting a podcast or YouTube mm-hmm. video. Yep. It's a greater point, slightly higher level is just figuring out what is important to you. And you don't have to figure out your purpose. Like, I don't think you or I have figured out our purpose specifically. I I definitely wouldn't state it in that way, but I know some things that I enjoy doing, some people that I enjoy hanging out with. So I think it is important to figure that out or try to figure it out and understand that you do need to have that piece of the puzzle before you completely stop working. And that's all debatable because you could say, and I think we have some mutual uh, friends around here who have stopped working and they're just kind of hanging out. They're working on things that are interesting to them. I think, uh, I won't mention the person's name, but I, I remember the last hike we went on, he was getting into painting and he didn't really have an artistic uh, outlet previously, but he thought, hey, I want to try to paint. So he got some canvases and was painting and, and that sort of thing and working on projects around the house. A lot of those similar things that you have been working on the last few years, I think. Sure. Yeah. I, I often think uh, my purpose in life is trying to find my purpose. I'd, I'm pretty I, sure it might never move beyond that. <laughs> I, that, and that's a perfect, probably way to do it. Cause you'll never find the answer. You keep moving and you're interested in stuff. So yeah. Yeah. I don't I'll think, go with that. I don't think there has to necessarily be an answer either. I, I found my great joy comes from stuff. I never thought I'd want to do like creating, like uh building out my basement and building a deck and, and, and things like that. But it changes all the time too. Anything else with the per- finding a purpose or being bored or anything like that? Yeah, I do have one more thing to say about this, Doug. I, going back to my friend who told me I would die if I stayed at my job. So I was probably 30 pounds, roughly 30 pounds heavier than I am now. High blood pressure. I sat at a desk for eight hours a day and was stressed out. Like, you can't tell me that shit is healthy. If you go to the Mayo Clinic website, probably the best healthcare system in the world, they have a definition on there. They have a disease called sitting disease. And I, it's been a while since I looked at this, but I believe they say sitting for eight hours a day without a physical activity to break it up. And I forgot what they define that as, but I wasn't doing it, whatever it was. It's equivalent to smoking a pack of cigarettes a day. Like, holy shit. So we've got, we know how dangerous smoking is and there's all those warnings on cigarette packs. Maybe office chairs should have a big warning on the bottom, like warning sitting on this fucking thing for eight hours a day is going to kill you. <laughs> I know, man. It's crazy. It's crazy. Now, I wonder if, if it's sort of a, what the exchange rate is. Like, could you smoke half a pack a day and then sit four hours and at least you get the smoke as well. You get that benefit. So, I don't know. yeah, I, I think Doug's <laughs> trying to uh, start a standing desk company. So if you just stand for four hours a day, you could have your ashtray or standing desk. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I'm not sure. Maybe you could... I don't know how beer and alcohol figures up in there, but maybe you could drink for part of the day, like for two hours a day, smoke for a little while, maybe just a quarter pack. And then you could only sit for, I guess, three eighths of an, anyway, we'll figure it out. I think we have something here though. There's some kind of product. I think you could do both those things if you have a standing desk and maybe both of them at the same time, if you have like one of those treadmill or like a 
bicycle desk. Can you imagine that? You're typing on a computer, pedaling, smoking, and drinking all at the same time. Yeah. That's the kind of company I want to work <laughs> at. That sounds good. You would have still put a point. <laughs> oh, I broke you up. All oh, right. man. Okay. We'll have an affiliate link in, the, uh, in our show notes for a standing desk and cigarettes. <laughs> <laughs> it just blows smoke at your at your face. And actually, I I, I never uh, smoked cigarettes. I don't enjoy putting stuff into my lungs. Yeah. But I hear nicotine is pretty good. Like as far as a nootropic type thing. Have you heard that? Um, yeah, I'm sure it is good. That's why people get addicted to this shit. But I've I've never tried it either. Nor do I want to. The whole smoke in the lungs thing is kind of nasty, but. <laughs> What yeah. about gum? What if I got some gum and we could record a few episodes if we just chew? Because then we protect our lungs, but we get the good mental benefits. That gum with nicotine in it or whatever? Yeah. But then we'd get, I don't like the thought of being addicted to anything. Then you'd get addicted to the gum and you'd become a gum junkie, right? And then if you go to, aren't there some places in the world like Singapore, I think gum is banned. If you went to Singapore, you'd have the shakes or whatever people who are going through with cigarette withdrawal have. Like, never be able to go there or you get lashed if you... Drop your gum or some yeah. shit like that. You can only get it here. I'll be your supplier. We'll talk about it later. Wow, I think Doug's <laughs> trying to be my drug dealer. This took a turn for the worst. Okay, wrapping it up. One of the other misconceptions is that retirement is more expensive than normal life. And I'll hit the sort of why this may be a misconception because I, I think I thought this for a while. And when I first started thinking about saving for retirement, when I first got a job and was thinking about the 401k, I went to a uh, financial advisor and it, it was terrible. Eventually, I, I fired them a few years ago, luckily. But a lot of the common advice was around how much you were earning at the end of your career. So let's say they estimated we would be earning whatever, $200,000 at the end of our career. And you should tack on a, a little extra on top of that because you'll be continuing to spend more and you got to think of inflation and a couple other things. So all of a sudden you think your expenses are going to be, you know, north of $200,000 when you retire, which is a, a weird way to do a budget in my opinion, because you have to think really about what you're spending, not how much you're earning. Yep. So they're assuming that you're just spending every fucking penny that comes into your bank account, which seems insane. I would probably run out of stuff to buy. You might have to upgrade from nicotine gum to like cocaine or something. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you keep, you keep reaching for something better, I guess. So <laughs> I see the same things and I've wondered that exact same shit just because you earn that doesn't mean you're spending that. I mean, Maybe some people do that, but if you're doing that, you're doing something wrong. I'll, I'll say that with certainty. Yeah. So I think that is one of the main reasons why that ends up being a misconception. People are like, well, I heard that you need to save, you know, t $10 million or $15 million to keep up and blah, blah, blah. But once you do the math and you understand you, you can invest the money, you don't have to put it into a, you know, zero interest bearing account yep. and just take out cash. It can grow with you. You have plenty of time to accumulate that money and you don't need nearly as much as what maybe the financial advisors were saying, which when you think about 
when you think about the incentives for certain professionals out there, a financial advisor who might be taking a percentage of what you accumulate, they sure do want you to have a shitload of money in the accounts, right? If they're getting whatever, half a percent, which sounds like a small amount, but it's a huge amount, especially when you compound it over the years. I imagine that's why they are telling you that nonsense. Yeah. It's like asking the barber if you need a haircut. I, that's only a problem for one of us. But <laughs> and actually, I use the shaver too. But yeah, what started me thinking about all this is, again, you look at the mainstream media and you see these bullshit articles like why you'll need more money, why you'll need like 4X the amount when you retire. And the, the picture will, will usually be a couple, like an old couple, like with their golf clubs on a golf course or some shit like that. And, Doug, I got to say, I live, I actually live in a fucking golf course community, which I didn't move there for that shit. I moved there because the house was cheap and it was a good fixer upper, but there's no way in hell I'm ever joining that golf club. You got to like buy a meal there every month and it's like 500 bucks a month. And I've got all these old coots around my neighborhood that are always like, you should join the golf club. I'm like, why? Well, they've got a pool there for your kids. I'm like, it's 500 bucks a year for like the, the neighborhood one. Why am I going to pay that? Well, you can golf too. Like, I don't like golf. So your life is what you make out of it. It doesn't have to be expensive. You decide what you do in retirement. So that's half of it. And the other thing I think about is a lot of things just become naturally cheaper in retirement. Like the main thing we have is time. So we've got time to cook. We don't have to, a lot of times going out to eat for us when we do it now, it's just, we're so fucking busy. We're like, oh, let's just get food out somewhere. We don't have time and it's going to be late if we try to cook at home. Uh, you've got time to walk places. I, I drive less now than I've ever driven in my life. Uh, we've got time to ride bikes places. Uh, I, I guess the things we like to do just don't cost a lot of money. Um, retirement is what you make out of it. You don't have to go. Uh, you don't have to join the golf club. You don't have to go on cruises every month. Although... I see here in the show notes, cruises, it's probably peak time for that shit now, right? You can get great deals on cruises. So we're probably going to go on one pretty soon. No, I'm just kidding. We're not, we're not going to go on a cruise. But <laughs> Have you ever been on one before? Only a, not, not, not a big ship, but we went on a river cruise for our honeymoon in uh, Belgium and the Netherlands, which was Ooh. pretty cool. So there were only like a hundred people or so on there. And it was amazing because we were just going around to awesome bars and stuff and breweries. Wow. Maybe if we could get a real good deal, we should go on a cruise dog, bring our families and we could be recording from the deck and shit, get a bunch of, it would be amazing. So yeah. And it, it, I don't, yeah, I haven't gone on a big cruise. What, what about you? Yeah. I, I'm uh, I don't know if I'm embarrassed to say, but we've been on several and they're, they're kind of nice for the forced relaxation part of it. Like extricating yourself from the internet and the world is pretty cool, but the, uh, the eating gets excessive and, so, but. yeah. And another, another maybe not so obvious point, and it could be a little different now that we're in the COVID time period, but I know when I worked, it, it was similar to you. You had to kind of dress a little more professionally. You would potentially have to get dry cleaning for your, you know, fancy slacks and your buttoned up shirts. It's a couple things like that. We were commuting potentially. I worked from home a decent amount, but there were times where I was driving 60 miles a day in my V8 truck, which I'm sure I should I should probably get some hate for that, but we'll have a whole episode about my vehicle coming up soon. And I know I used to spend a ton of money eating out because 
you'd want to get out of the office because it was a nightmare in there. It was a, a little break. You can go hang out with your friends and, and speak freely versus trying to whisper over the cubes or anything like that. So it really adds up when you're eating out every single day and you're paying, say, 10 bucks for a sandwich and a drink and chips or something like that. So when when you consider all of those things, it is far cheaper, especially if you can see the way that Carl and I dress these days. It is, it looks rough. I'll put it that way. It looks rough. He has holes in his pants and I... I don't think I'm going to have a dress code, but I just a light request. I, the thing is, people don't know how we're how we're uh, kidding around. I, I hope the humor comes through, but we're too we're too deadpan. <laughs> <laughs> Doug, I I was thinking about something while you were saying that, and well, actually, I was thinking about something on the way here. And my thought was, I really enjoy doing this podcast with you, Doug. But one of the negatives of it actually is, I I have to dress up for it, and I'm serious when I say that, like. Uh, <laughs> These are these are actually my jeans, one of the rare jeans that do not have many stains on them and do not have any holes. A lot of times, like it, I never make it beyond like some shitty shorts and like some crappy shirt that, like, I have to change clothes to go to Home Depot. That's how it. That's how bad it is. <laughs> and, uh, my wife is like, you can't leave the house in that. I'm like, just Home Depot. But still, you're not going out like that. So yeah. yeah. It's yeah, yeah. I'm I'm the same way. A lot of sweatpants and I, I did notice I was just giving you a hard time. Those are the nicest skinny jeans that I've seen in a long time. It's an interesting <laughs> choice for you, uh, but I like them. I don't think they're skinny jeans. I just think I've put on a little weight over, <laughs> over the COVID times. But I just had one other thought that has left my mind that I thought was pretty good at the time. Oh, yeah. I had a uh, I was going to talk about my underwear, but I'll save that for another another episode. That's all right. I, I heard of a new brand of underwear. I was listening to the uh, that Lex Friedman podcast uh, I was telling you about. So he had a guest on who does advertising for the sheath underwear. So all people can look it up. I, I'm not 100% sure about it yet, but we'll have to look it up afterwards and then we'll report back. So we'll leave it sort of as a teaser. So sheath underwear, have you heard of it at all? I have not. It sounds kind of ominous and scary. I don't know if I want to go to that website. Is this some kind of trap you've set for me, Doug? I go to that website and I, I see something horrific that I can't erase. It's like I go to that website and I'll see you and your underwear. And I'll be like, ah! <laughs> it wasn't intentional, but I'm pretty sure that's exactly how it's going to turn out. <laughs> that's exactly what's going to happen. All right. So uh, we've got a couple, couple more things. Uh, anything else uh, from the expense standpoint after you retire? No, I think that's pretty much it. Um, all this underwear talk, some days I don't even make it into underwear. Unfurnished basement isn't necessarily a bad way to go, Doug. Get some chafing <laughs> if you're wearing the wrong pants. Yeah, we may have to have like a stand-up studio so we don't even have to sit in these chairs, you know. And then we could drink and smoke too, right? If we stood up, isn't that what we just agreed on? If I we- think it's kind of related, but I'll, I'll make this kind of productive. I was thinking every, say, fifth episode, we could do a live stream and potentially make it sort of like a happy hour situation. Ooh, that's a great idea. I don't know if people know this, but Doug and I get up like it. You hear about all these people have got their morning routine. So we get up at three in the morning to record. So it's like 4.30 a.m. right now. It is probably in Hawaii, but not, not where we're at. Yeah. And then we can say, hey, it's after five somewhere, but we really mean it's five in the morning. 
but to we, have the beer. <laughs> we could still drink yet another advantage of fire. You can have a drink at 530 in the morning if you choose. If you want to. Yeah, so I, I think that could be cool. And this episode is brought to you in part by, actually all part by you and I, because this is a money uh absorbing endeavor right now and you could check out my other podcast which is the doug show i talk about affiliate marketing and i also have a youtube channel where i talk about that stuff too so there's some side topics but that's that's what i do yeah and doug don't like doug is the all the brains here i'm just i don't know why i'm even here to be honest with you but like doug got invited to google to speak so for all the brains doug has uh yeah check out his other Check out his other adventures because, uh, yeah, they're worthwhile. Thanks. Appreciate that. And uh, what about you? Yeah, uh, I blog over at 1500days.com. I'm trying to think if there's anything interesting I've written about lately. Yeah, one kind of interesting turn my life made after fire. And this is kind of the great thing about fire. I'll get serious for a moment is some of the turns your life takes. Like I I hated public speaking. Like. Doug, I would have been, I would have never done this with you like five years ago. I would have been terrified. I probably wouldn't have even met you because I would have been terrified to talk to you because <laughs> I was even less well adjusted than I am now. But yeah, now I do public speaking gigs and this next one will be in Ohio for almost a thousand people, I think. So I hopefully, hopefully I don't freak out and fuck it up. Um, but yeah, there you have it. That's what my last post is about and kind of how I overcame the fear and changed my life and that serendipitous turn my life took to go from someone afraid to talk to speaking in front of big crowds, which probably be a little scary, but should be fun too. Yeah. What's the name of the place and when is it? Uh, it's called Economy and it is in uh, November. I think it's the weekend of November 17th, but it is in, at the University of Ohio in Cincinnati. I hope I'm getting all of this right. So okay. yeah, we'll talk. We'll have the organizer on Diana, who's an incredible person on a future episode. Awesome. Very cool. And finally, we have our regular segment, which we're going to, we're going to vary uh, from episode to episode, but today our segment is getting to know you. So this is kind of an exercise. Uh, it's like a sort of an icebreaker for Carl and I just to get to know each other better. So I'll, I'll ask you, Carl, first. Tell me about your family, siblings, that sort of thing. Oh, I have one wife. Her name is Mindy. Uh, she's probably most well-known in the FIRE community for being on the Bigger Pockets Money podcast. She is actually recording right now as we're recording, which is kind of interesting. We'll have to have her on the show sometime. It would be Fun to give her a little bit of harassment, after which maybe I will be living in your basement. Uh, let's see. Outside of my family, I have two younger siblings. Uh, Mom, they're all, they live out west, and I finally I have two younger daughters. I was telling Doug that we had one child, and then we're like, uh, as a lot of parents make the mistake, let's have another one. So the first one, we'll have a playmate, and then it turns out that they end up hating each other. And that two kids become the work of like 16 kids because you spend your time breaking up fights and and everything else. But uh, Doug, I've got one funny story to tell you about my children. So they they fight pretty frequently. This is a daily occurrence. Um, Doug is thinking right now, I'm sure glad I decided not to reproduce and just got a dog. But anyway, one day the girls were fighting and it usually doesn't go to violence. They're usually just yelling at each other or fighting over something that they think the other one wants. But this time they actually started to hit each other. Like they're slapping and punching each other. I'm like, whoa, whoa, girls, you can't do this. Cut, cut this out right now. 
So I'm like, each of you has to say, violence is not the answer three times. So I, I go to my younger child. I'm like, okay, younger child, say it. So she's like, violence is not the answer. Violence is not the answer. Violence is not the answer. So then I'm like, hey, older child, you have to say it three times. And older child is like, you know, dad, I don't really want to say it. I'm like, well, you have to, or else you're going to go to your room or the uncooperative chair. She's like, dad, I, I don't want to say it. I'm not going to say it. I'm like, well, you have to, unless you want some other form of punishment. And then it was at that point, the younger one chimes in, which something, which might've been her best line ever. She's like, Claire, if you don't say violence is not the answer three times, I'm going to hit you. <laughs> like, oh, I wish I had this on video. Oh, so that really paid off, huh? Yeah, that uh, <laughs> it did pay off because it gave you a good story to tell honestly to random people. So that's it. Uh, two daughters, a wife, and uh, no pets at this time. All right. And you have two younger sisters, you said? Yes, two younger sisters. Okay. And where, where do they live? Unless they're, you know... Uh, they all live in, or something. They all live in Las Vegas. I get to go visit them this weekend. Actually, we're going to drive out and uh, go see the family unit. <laughs> Should nice, be fun. Nice. Yeah. Okay. Nice. And then, what question do you have for me? You can ask the same, or you can do a different one. Uh, I was. This might be a multi-part question, but the first one is: um, How and where did you meet your wife? Can I say her name on the podcast? I think I have before. So I'm yeah, sorry. We I, can, we can, yeah, we can't. Okay. How and where did you meet Elizabeth? So. It's interesting. We both went to Georgia Tech and we were there at the same time. She's a year, uh, she was a year ahead of me. The interesting part is we actually met on eHarmony. So for a few years, we were sort of scared to mention it. To be honest with you, she will never listen to these episodes, by the way, so I could just speak freely. And I don't think she can hear me. No, I don't think she can hear me. So she was a little nervous to, to mention it. This is back in 2007. So it was kind of like the earlier days of uh, internet dating and eHarmony was kind of newer. Now people have like, who, who knows how many apps on their phone where they can go like go hook up in, in the whatever, like down the street or, or whatever and just meet up fast. So this was back in the day. So for a little while, she she told me, hey, Let's have a cover and we'll say that we knew some of the same people at Georgia Tech. It's a reasonable story. And she really wanted to make it believable. So we had some specific details, like I wore a blue button-up shirt or some other things that were completely untrue, but provided enough sort of tapestry of detail that it would be believable if someone started asking more questions. So we met on eHarmony. Have yeah. you been, have you considered, I guess, with Elizabeth's reluctance, you probably would not be on one of those commercials, but maybe now you could, like, uh, how much would you have to be paid to be, have you seen those eHarmony commercials? Do you know what I'm talking about? Like, oh, have yeah. you been on eHarmony? Ah! <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I, I would uh, entertain some offers if they approached me. I think you should do it eHarmony. We're looking for sponsorship. I think, though, usually those are, um, Elizabeth could be on there. Because she's so good looking, but I don't think I would pass the sniff test. They would have someone else sit in. They'd get, you know, some other bald person and like, oh, there's Doug. Just, they'd tell her, uh, just act like you like him, you know. Doug, I don't think that's true at all. But if you want to mitigate it, you have a very cute border collar. You could have Georgie on there and throw the Frisbee and she could catch it. And then you guys kiss. Oh, can I direct the commercial? I think we could probably shoot it today. Oh my God. Yeah. There's yeah. snow outside, but we can still make it work. Where, where was your first date? 
we went to a, it was sort of a, actually it was a hookah lounge, like a hookah bar place in uh, the Buckhead area in Atlanta. And it was called Devon, which I think roughly translate into translates into uncomfortable couch because that's what they had in there. And I don't know why we went there, but we, I don't know why we went there because we didn't smoke the hookah or participate in any of the other uh, things that you would get there. We just got a couple beers and usually here, here's my dating style. So basically you want to go somewhere where you can have maybe a little snack, coffee, something like that. Nothing too much of a commitment. So it's like, hey, you could feel each other out. And then if it's going well, you can go to another location, which sort of bonds you more, right? <laughs> I'm getting around partially, but th- this is literally what happened. So we went there, hung out, it was going well. And then I said, I'm kind of hungry because we just got an appetizer at that first place. And I said, ah, why don't we go to Taco Mac? which is a sports bar and grill chain in Atlanta. And they have, most of the locations have, you know, 100 beers on tap. And we went to a Taco Mac, got some beers that were more interesting than the place we were at. And then I think we, we ordered food. We got some actual dinner there. Huh, cool. And how long after that did you get married? About two years. Okay, that's good. About two years and... We had a super short engagement. It was about three months and we paid for everything ourselves. We sort we almost eloped um, and just didn't have anyone, but we invited our parents and the one grandparent who was alive and we went to a bed and breakfast in Helen, Georgia. And they had an elopement package basically. So we stayed there for the weekend there was food and some other things arranged, but it was relatively inexpensive and we paid for it ourselves. Nice. Yeah. Okay. I have many, many other titillating questions for you, but I think we should save those for another episode. Those were good. Those were, I haven't thought about uh, some of those things in a while. Yeah. Interesting. It's interesting how closely you're, you mirror me. We did not meet on eHarmony, but we got married about two years after, and our engagement was also very short. Like, fuck it, let's just go do this. And we almost eloped as well. Yeah. It made it a lot easier because I, I saw a lot of my friends who were dealing with like a, a year engagement and all the planning and headache. And it could be way simpler than that. I know not everyone has the luxury, or maybe you don't want to fight the battle of not. Um, you don't want to fight the battle of having a small wedding because some people have been looking forward to big weddings, um, but it wasn't us. <laughs> yeah, us either. I called up, uh, we're like, let's have 10 people. I remember I called up this arboretum that was kind of beautiful. I'm like, hey, uh, can we get married at your place? They're like, yeah, pay us 50 bucks and you can. we'll let you in after hours. I'm like, done. Oh, man. Yeah, it sounds like a cheap, a cheap deal also. So, awesome. Very cool. Anything else uh, for today? I think that's it, Doug. Uh, We'll save more humiliation for future episodes. And I guess we should also give a little plug and just say, hey, if you dig these episodes, share them with a friend. You you can rate them and review and whatever you want to do. But uh, I think the biggest thing is if you tell a friend, hey, check out the Mile High Fi podcast. Yeah. Mile High Fi Club. Join today. Thanks. Thank you. 
Thanks for listening to the show. That was the Mile High Five podcast, and I'm Doug Cunnington, the balder host, and Carl Jensen is the cool, sexy one. If you dig the show, please do three things for us. Number one, tell a friend, a family member, an enemy about the show. We really don't care who you tell. Maybe forward them a specific show that you know that they will like. It's the single most helpful thing that you can do to spread the word. It's like giving us a virtual high five and uh, actually we don't give high fives in, in person so the virtual kind's pretty good. And more importantly, your friend or family member or even your enemy will appreciate the fact that you were thinking of them. Number two, make sure you're following or subscribed on your podcast app, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Overcast, YouTube, whatever you're using, and that way you won't miss a show. And number three, please leave us a rating and review. We read them on the show occasionally, and you might hear yours out there on an upcoming episode. Quick disclaimer, this show is not financial or legal advice. I'd actually be surprised if it sounded like it. It's really just for entertainment, and that's at least what we're hoping for. But seriously, get advice from professionals. Carl and I are just two guys with microphones that sit in my basement and talk. So we'll catch y'all next week.